podcast in the world from WWE to DNA Impact by way of the NWA. It's time for Reffin' It Up with legendary referee Brian Hepner and guest host, Mr. Reffin' Rant himself, Jimmy Corderas. An all new episode starts in this. Is revving it up. Welcome back to Revving It Up. I am RJ. This week we have a very special episode. We welcome in Dollar Bill Dave from the Filter Free Popcast to do a little segment we like to call Stump the Ref with myself and Brian. That little segment is up next. So big thanks to Dave for coming on. Go over and follow them on social media and subscribe to their podcast. After that, due to some scheduling conflicts, we are running this week a Ref and Rewind with our episode we did with Kurt Angle a little while back with myself, Brian, and Jimmy. So check that out right after the segment. Absolutely phenomenal show that we did with them. So I hope you guys enjoy it. In the meantime, head over to castby.com slash up. All our platforms are there. Subscribe, five-star review. We appreciate you so, so very much. Follow us on social media at Reffing It Up on Instagram and Twitter. Follow Jimmy and Brian as well. And we'll be back next week with another new episode of Reffing It Up. We have a little bit of a curveball here this week as we promoted last week it's called stump the ref and we have the honor of bringing in from the filter free podcast dollar bill dave dave what's up man welcome to the show hey rj thank you guys for having me what's up dollar dave (laughs) (laughs) i'll go ahead and get it started i you know a couple weeks ago we did a benefit for our good friend josh odom who passed away tragically just all of a sudden and i popped in on your segment of our 12-hour marathon because obviously RJ, you and I used to do a show together. We're good friends. And, right. you know, I've never really met Brian. I, t- I talked to him for a hot minute at Top Guy Weekend last year in Chicago. Mm-hmm. But I, I came up with a very controversial topic that Uh-oh. towards the end of our Odom tribute. And we decided to bring it on to your show to, to get you know, just a little bit more in depth with Brian and yourself and, and me and to see why I feel this way. So I, I'll let you start it off and then I will tell you why. Okay. So for those of you, a little context behind it, obviously for the benefit show worth, once again, thank you for having us on that, Dave. Um, and so the grasp it a little bit more your concept was and your comment was that randy orton is overrated correct brian thought (laughs) everything but that so i'm like hey we got something here i talked to you and talked to brian after the fact i'm like let's start a segment here i don't know where this is gonna go this just may be a one-off i don't know it all depends on what our listeners like um but dave i my thought process was I grew, I saw him coming up in the company. I know you probably did as well. And I know Brian worked yep. with him a little bit, but why do you think he's overrated? All right. So first and foremost, is Randy Orton great in the ring? Yes. But in my view, does Randy Orton move the needle? Like people pretend he does. 
Absolutely not. Case in point, how long's Randy Orton been out now? He's been injured for months and months. Damn near a year. Mm-hmm. Nothing's changed. It's life as normal. And the machine that is the WWE is still moving, and it's like he, he never existed. Hell, his last year in the company, he was in a tag team with Matt Riddle. And what were they doing? Nothing. Right? Mm-hmm. So my whole thing is, is Randy Orton is a hell of a worker. But he is one of the most overrated wrestlers in the history of the business. And I don't feel that he will ever be missed when he truly retires. Dave. (laughs) So, your definition of overrated is what's all fucked up. Because you're overrating him by ratings or by drawing power. You could do that with anybody. You could take right now, you could take anybody on SmackDown that's a big star, put them on the shelf. And the same shit's going to happen. The WWE is going to keep on moving. His in-ring ability is unmatched. I'm sorry. If you can tell me somebody, name one person that's fucking better than Randy Orton. Of all time or right now? Right now. Right now, Cody Rhodes. Very good point. So, Cody Rhodes disappeared. Did the WWE stop? Did the needle drop? Did anything happen? No, and Cody, I think Cody Rhodes is, I, you know, I like him now, but nothing changes. If Cody Rhodes leaves, nothing changes. Now, so here, a- here's, here's my point. Hulk Hogan was wrestling in the 80s, early 90s in WWF. Everything was centered around Hulk Hogan. Ric Flair was wrestling for the NWA, WCW in the 80s and 90s. What happened to the NWA when Ric Flair left, or WCW at that point when Ric Flair left in 1991? Well, it went to shits. Exactly. What happened to the WWF when Hulk Hogan pretty much, when his run was over 91-ish, late 91, 92, he wrestled WrestleMania in 92, and then we didn't see him for a year. What happened? They struggled. Right. So... Ric Flair left, Hulk Hogan left. All right, let's let's move forward. WWE was at heights never seen before during Austin and Rock's little era. What happened when Austin and Rock left? Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, but you're naming five people, six people. So that would mean to me, as according to your definition, Dollar Dave, is that Cody Rhodes is also overrated. Because the same thing that happened with Randy Orton can happen to Cody Rhodes. I will give this, though. Cody Rhodes, look what happened to AEW when Cody Rhodes left. Yeah, well, Randy didn't have that opportunity for that to see. Right. But see, and, and one of my reasons for thinking this is what would happen if Roman Reigns left the WWE and showed up in AEW? Now, see, that, that, that is a point that's very, very valid. That would be a needle mover. That would be a needle mover. Yes. The one and, if, and if Randy Orton left the WWE and went to AEW, I don't believe it really moved the needle all that much. I think it, you'd, you'd, it'd be just like kind of like CM Punk. He left. People talked about it for a minute. Because two big names 
you know, Moxley was there at the beginning. So he's been there for the whole AEW run. CM Punk joined AEW, popped ratings for a little while, and then it started to dwindle. I don't think he's going to do much with Collision. I just don't see a Saturday night show being all that great. Well, and, then you had Dan- and then you had Daniel Bryan, or Bryan Danielson, whatever you want to call him. It was hot for a minute when he came in, and now what? It's done nothing. I take them, and I put them in the same kind of basket as I put Randy Orton. No, I, I totally disagree. I totally disagree. I think the definition of what you're meaning in the overrated is the first two names you said, CM Punk and Moxley. Over-fucking-rated. Randy Orton is so far and above these two guys, it's not even fucking funny. If I think sure- I agree with you in terms of Moxley. Because, you know, the Dean Ambrose character, it was good. I would like to have seen a more John Moxley-type version in WWE than the Dean Ambrose character. But the John Moxley we have now in AEW is, it's almost criminal it's so bad with the bleeding and the bullshit. But I don't think... I have a hard time saying CM Punk's overrated. I think because CM Punk's more of a household name from his failed stint in the UFC and the summer of Punk in WWE. We, we never had a summer of Orton. We we did have the little legend killer thing for a little while, but I mean he he wasn't really champion then, so it doesn't really matter. But I mean Orton's in ring work is uncanny. Dude's great in the ring. I'll give it to him. But. To me, he's never been a needle mover. And the love that Randy Orton gets from some people, I have never been able to understand. And I take it as in the same way with Edge. Okay, I have a question. Would you like to see CM Punk versus The Undertaker, or would you rather see Randy Orton versus The Undertaker? CM Punk. Why? Why? CM Punk now? Or CM Punk five years or well eight years ago when it happened. I mean, to me, it don't make a fuck. CM Punk, CM no. Punk, he's fucking overrated. He's the most. I, this 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 should be about him. This should be about CM Punk, not Randy Orton. Randy Orton is a badass motherfucker inside and outside the ring. He cuts promos that are good. They're not they're not great, but they're good. Um, CM Punk's good on the stick. That's it. After that microphone gets you know put down on the mat, I don't give a fuck after that. I've never I've never. You know, I, I agree CM Punk's great on the mic. Uh, I, I will say that, especially after his failed UFC attempt, CM Punk would never be somebody that I'd push as the face of my company because he got exposed in real fighting. Obviously, nobody's ever seen Randy Orton in a real fight. I mean, you might have. You're a referee. He might have had some issues backstage or something like that. But uh, I'd I rather bet, see... I bet Randy Orton beat his ass. Uh, I would... I would agree. I, I would say Brady Orton probably would beat his ass as well. So my overrated guys starting to look really good right now. You're not winning this battle. <laughs> no. But I mean, the, the the biggest wrestler ever, Hulk Hogan, in real life, he's not known as a fighter. No. So, uh, I mean, that, that doesn't – in the wrestling world, I mean, shit. Matt Riddle probably whoop everybody's ass. Brock Lesnar beat his ass. Well, Bro- I mean, Brock Lesnar's a different animal, but that's, that's just. <laughs> so let me let me say this this way though, and this Jake Hager, I guess maybe he's pretty legit in Bellator. We'll we'll see we'll see that soon too. But 
say we were to put Randy Orton in a different era, take him completely out of the era that he wrestled. So basically take, he started probably ballpark, what, what early 2000, 2000s? 2001, 2002, something like that. Yeah, somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. Say we put him five years before that. So that would put us. You put Randy Orton in the Attitude Era. Yeah. I believe he'd have been a much bigger star. So because, well, hold on. So you're saying if you put him in that era, yes. Okay, but but you're saying there's something there, but you're not seeing it now. Now, right. So my thing with Randy Orton is is he came along a little bit too late, and here's why: the Attitude Era. I th- and I've gone back and watched it, and it's kind of the same thing. Like Bruce Pritchard has said about ECW. People talk about how great ECW was. And it was the nostalgia of something different when we were growing up. You go back and watch ECW now, it is god-awful. The Attitude Era is by far probably the best era of wrestling. Because you had Austin, Rock, and their feud, Undertaker, great. The... I consider the Attitude Era having started when it kind of went to like Raw is War, when Raw moved to two hours. You had the whole Heart Foundation and Canada thing versus America. That's some of the best shit on television. Randy Orton would have been prime for the WWF in late 97-ish time frame if he was hitting his stride when Bret Hart left the company. Because you think about it, and a lot of people don't think about this, WWF, on the main event scene when Austin became champion, was about as weak as any company ever. They had, Michaels was gone. You had, at one point in time, your only two people in the whole organization to hold a world title, Austin and Undertaker. That's it. Mankind was a main event level wrestler but had never been a legit main eventer kane was just coming in you know and so in 98 king of the ring kane beats under or beats uh austin for the belt in that first blood match that was stupid because austin was bleeding from his back very early in the match so wouldn't that be first blood but uh that's it they they had austin and taker if if you had a Randy Orton who was established by then. I think because I thought they pushed the rock too soon. I was wrong, but I thought they pushed him too soon. But I think Orton, while he doesn't have the promo of the rock, and I think that's what makes the rock so great was he had the promo because his in his in-ring work isn't anything to write home about to be like, oh, this is the greatest guy ever. But Orton, I kind of take in ring ability with Randy Savage, but didn't have the, the good promo as Randy Savage, so he's not as well known as Randy Savage. But Orton's Orton's main flaw is is he came into the business when there was other stars way better than him also in the business. Well, so do you think that mankind's overrated? Uh kinda. I think Foley's revered some and the you know TJ on Filter Free Podcast, his number one of all time is Mankind and Mr. Perfect. I don't see it. I, I don't see him as a legit viable world heavyweight champion. 
I saw it as the way they booked it as someone who could be the world heavyweight champion, but for short sprints, like he was with his three title reigns. So I don't put him on the caliber of Undertaker by far as like a gimmick type wrestler. I don't think anybody will ever touch the Undertaker. But a viable option f- to sell pay-per-views, yes. I mean, you can't name many matches that can equal what Mankind and the Undertaker put through in that 96, 97, go to 98 time frame. Those guys had some fucking bangers. Well, okay, so we've established that he's probably one of the best in ring. Great. He's very smooth in ring, yes. He probably turns a lot of women's eyes. And men, probably, for that fact. How many women are really watching, though? Well, I bet more were watching when he was there. <laughs> He's not ugly. If if I was a chick, I'd like him, for sure. Okay. So, the, the, so the, there, there, there's something there. Um, He did very well with his title reign. Not one, but he, the ones he had. Or he wouldn't have been yeah. champion. Put it that way. Yeah. Not, I thought they put the belt on him too soon, his first title reign. But, I mean, he lost it a month later, so it was kind of pointless. But Fair enough. I, that, the, main, the main problem with Randy Orton and what always will hold Randy Orton back, John Cena. Hmm. Well, that was that was the main crutch on Randy Orton's career, John Cena. Now the class that came out, John Cena, Randy Orton, Brock Lesnar, the Basham brothers. Um, I know I'm forgetting some, but I'm, those are just Batista. the ones that I, Batista, yeah, Batista, yeah, Shelton Benjamin, yeah, Shelton Benjamin, mm-hmm. Charlie Haas. Um, that that all came out at one time. Yep. All right. <laughs> Other than. John Cena, who's the bigger star of the group? Lesnar, Batista. No way. Batista's overrated. My God. <laughs> See, I liked Batista. I liked Batista. His you gimmick was like, great. You may, I like him too, but he's the drizzling shits in, inside a ring. He put on, I see. Wait. Is, is John Cena great in the ring? He's a lot better than Batista. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know what? I, you know, I, I feel us getting into the weeds a little bit here, and I kind of want to like wheel us back around the main, uh, main topic here, so we can, uh, you know, bring it bring it home. But just for closing arguments, it's like a, it's like it's like a, uh, we're in the uh, courtroom here. I start with Dave. Just closing arguments. We're going to put this out to a poll. Right here. On our, Let's do it. I, I got Twitter you right feed. here. The best thing Randy Orton ever did in wrestling was his his legend killer feud with The Undertaker where he immediately lost. That's the best thing Randy Orton ever did in wrestling. Okay. My That's the only point. time anyone cared about him. Right. After his short face run, he turned heel, legend killer. He, he hit Jake the Snake with the RKO, a move he stole from DDP. DDP did it better. (laughs) My God. Mark Merrow did it after that. So Mark Merrow's even better than 
I'm kidding. Mark was, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a, it's, it, what is it? Twelve o'clock. I was getting ready to crack one right then. <laughs> Close enough. Um, RJ, but no, before, Brian, before go ahead. Argument, before I go with my closing argument, how many times has Randy Orton been world champion? I do not know that. Fourteen. Uh, Fourteen. Fourteen times. Fourteen time champion. That should say enough for you, Dave. Um, there's somebody else out there that doesn't think that he's overrated. First of all. Um, I find it hard to match his in-ring skills with many of these people that are wrestling nowadays and during his days. I think he's just as good of the draw, 14-time draw, as some others, not maybe your Undertaker Hulk Hogan levels, but those are another level. That's another level yeah, that, right. many, that, that many aren't going to reach. Beyond that level, I think, then becomes Randy Orton. There are so many more overrated guys that are – Truly overrated with the definition. Randy Orton is not one of those. Randy Orton has done a lot for the business. He is an injury-prone wrestler, I think, is his downfall. That is his downfall, being injury-prone. Yeah, could be. Other than that, you take that out and you you know, you know, run a program with, it doesn't matter because he could wrestle a broomstick. It's going to be good. It's going to be solid. The, the, the definition of underrated does not match Randy Orton whatsoever. I still don't so see it. Why don't why don't we do this? You're gonna head over to our Twitter page at Reffin It Up. We're gonna put a poll out this week. See who you guys think. Are you on Dave's side saying that Randy Orton is overrated, or are you on Brian's side saying that he is not overrated? We'll vote on that. I'll put it out for a few days. We'll see what's we'll see who and in the comments and in the comments, tell us why. Why do you feel he's overrated, or why do you feel he's not uh, overrated? Dave, so, you, want to, you want the over under on who's going to win this uh, fan vote? Because I guarantee they're going to stick it up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I I mean, hey, that's all right. I've lost before. I'll lose again. <laughs> but th- nothing will ever change my mind. That I'm going to throw this one out there too. Sting, Randy Orton, Edge, highly overrated. All right, well, let's all not get crazy here. Let's not all get crazy here. We're going to be here all day. Come on. Yeah. Come on. You're killing me. All three um, of them. Randy Orton's like a level three, level four tier wrestler in terms of the real stars of the business. Had it had he been earlier, I think it would have – it might have changed. But I, I think he really got – he got the short end of the stick during the John Cena era of wrestling. And to me, it never clicked. I've never turned on a wrestling show to watch Randy Orton. Dollar Dave, here's all I can tell you. We can close up shop here. You can either use Google or you can use a dictionary. If that motherfucker still exists (laughs) and look up the word overrated. Randy, there's going to be, there's going to be Randy Orton's picture sitting right beside (laughs) it. I'm sure it will be. I can't wait to Google it. Yeah, yeah right. so um, overrated. He does. He doesn't put butts in seats. Yes, he might make the ladies scream, but he's no Triple H. He's no Cena. He's definitely no Austin or Rock or Hogan or Savage or Flair. He's overrated. Wow. That means right. many. Well, anyways, are. Randy Orton should never been more than like a four or five time champion. That's it. 
Apparently, people aren't seeing what you're seeing, Dave. Well, I also give him the benefit of the doubt that he wrestled when there was two championships in an organization, and no organization should have two world champions either. So, oh my dear God! But was he the main right. champion during his run? No. Oh God! I just... <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll close shop here, Dave. Plug anything, obviously, over at Filter Free Podcast. You guys got a good show going over there. Plug anything you got coming up and all the social medias. Yeah, every Tuesday, uh, Filter Free Podcast release new episodes. Uh, we have the Filter Free Network. We do a lot of live stuff and uh, other types of shows on our Patreon, including Evolution of Evil. We have. We now have wrestling with commercials. I don't know if you guys, how often y'all get to listen to our shows, but we did a 94 episode of USWA wrestling not that long ago. And one of my favorite things to do when we do some of the old school wrestling shows off YouTube is review the commercials within the show from back in the day. And we always get great feedback on that. So I've now turned it into a new show. We have wrestling rewrite rewrite with TJ and Mike Kolb. And we, we have a slew of other things. We have some some big stuff going down the going down the pipeline here that we've been working on. Uh, we've been teasing it for a little while now, so uh, it's growing leaps and bounds, and we're having a great time doing it. And we do it for fun. So it's it's one of those things where we just go out there, we have a good time, we talk pop culture, we talk movies, we talk a lot of sports, and then at the end of the day, we talk professional wrestling, and we love it. We have a good time. We don't take it too serious, and it's just like this. Hey. Get on Twitter. Tell me I'm stupid if you guys think Randy Orton is not overrated. I love that kind of stuff. It makes for great discussion. Too many people take this shit way too seriously. And I think wrestling Twitter is the epitome of that. You can look at wrestling Twitter and it's one of the most toxic things you've ever seen in your life. Guys, this is entertainment. Enjoy the shit. Have fun. Brian and I may disagree on this. I guarantee you there's a number of topics out there that we totally agree on. And we can have great conversation about. RJ and I are the same way. We don't always like the same thing. We don't see eye to eye on everything. But guess what? We can have decent civil conversations about it because we're adults and we're friends. Who gives a shit about AEW or WWE or who's winning the war or whatever with NXT? It doesn't matter. Go out and enjoy the show. Like what you like. Don't like what you don't like. But don't ridicule others for what they think. That's the main thing. People need to grow the fuck up and they need to learn that, hey, different strokes for different folks. Guess what? As soon as we get off this, the three of us are going to sit here and keep chatting and we're going to have a laugh over something we disagree about. End of story. Grow up, people. Be better than that. And we will agree on a lot of things, but Randy Orton is not one of them, but, and that's okay. (laughs) Ben Bowler's better than Randy Orton. (laughs) Will you stop? Oh, would you stop? Come ah, there's gorilla right there. Anyways, guys, the uh, all the social media links will be in the show notes. So go check them out. Subscribe uh, to their Patreon. Subscribe to their uh, uh, podcast feeds as well. Dave, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Dave. If you head over to manscapecom slash and use the promo code, that promo code, you'll get twenty percent off plus free shipping. And that's something that you know we're. Jimmy and I are both phonically challenged, but we make sure when we go to manscaped.com to take part in that great, great product. Well, I just want to say before we get Kurt on here that the Manscaped underwear, the briefs, are the best things for your balls. No more swamp ass. It's just incredibly, I can't 
say it anymore. I've got nine pairs and I'm really angry about that because they all went away from me this week. So I had to do laundry early. Guys, go out there and get your manscape. Let's get in Kurt Angle. Well, yeah, we will welcome in everybody's Olympic hero, Mr. Kurt Angle. Kurt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. Hello, oh, Chris. Oh, man, Kurt, it's a pleasure to have you on. It's so good to yeah, see man. you again. How are What's you? up, brother? How you doing? I'm, I'm better now. Better now getting to see you. Getting to, yeah, he's <laughs> Kurt's here to do our That's podcast better. with a broken free. Oh, no, yeah. I was going to do your deal, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you, look like, you look like me you're in a car you're in the car yes i'm in a car i'm stuck in a car i um, am too, man. i'm at the ball field i'm watching 14 year old girls my two daughters playing softball all day in the rain okay i'm glad you ended with that because it sounded like you were watching 14 year old girls <laughs> no, no, i'm no, glad stop. you had something to say after that yeah hey okay, man brother <laughs> <laughs> how you been kurt I'm doing well. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing great, man. I haven't talked to you in a while. Yeah. I know, I know. Life gets busy, and I know you've been busy as heck. I texted you what a couple weeks ago, and you, well, you got all kinds of podcasts going on, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I do a lot of podcasts for different people, and and then I have my own podcast, obviously, and uh, so I I do quite a bit of them. Um, you know, if you want a guest on your show, you got to be guest on their show. You know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It well, works that way. So mm -hmm. when am I going to be a guest on yours? We're get, we're going <laughs> to do it, Brian. Uh, we're, we actually want you to do the beatbox thing. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. <laughs> you better sharpen your skills. <laughs> I better check my lungs. <laughs> well, no, there's there's an actual video out uh, there, Kurt. I don't know if it's online yet, Brian, but I believe that was the yeah. one when you did with uh, with Trey. Oh, that was the newest one. Yeah, the newest one with uh, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, I believe, right? Yeah, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. You got to check that one out, Kurt. You know I got my style still. Yeah, I know you do, Brian. You'll never lose it. <laughs> no. no, but we're just briefly going over the beginning of your career there when you got into the um, the WWE there, Kurt. the We're talking about the match that you had with um, – with Taz that Jimmy did there in 2000 at the Royal Rumble when you're okay. with his debut. Uh, that was Madison Square Garden. You've wrestled all over the world. How important and how was wrestling in that facility that being MSG? Oh, it's the greatest arena in the world. Um, it, it is the WWE. That's where it all began. And, uh, you know, with Vince McMahon, He's going to tell you, listen, you better have your A game when you go to Madison Square Garden because I don't want the, want to let those fans down. And so, you know, you have to have your your very best that night. And I remember wrestling Taz and they wanted me to put Taz over. It was his debut. Uh, he was hot coming out of ECW. And uh, I think that Vince felt that he had an incredible future. So, what you know, I had an undefeated streak going up until then. And when Taz choked me out, that's when I, my undefeated streak ended. So Taz actually ended my undefeated streak, which I think was a big deal for Taz. And uh, I'm just really surprised that his career didn't blossom the way I expected to. I, I, you know, he was so popular in ECW, and he was like the top guy there, and he was dominating. And for some reason, things just fell through the floor in WWE, and I don't know why. If, if if I may, Kurt, do, do you think it has to do with the fact that, yes, Taz came off as this big 
uh, not big, but, you know, but tough individual, you know, really rugged. Uh, I don't want to say stiff, but snug in the ring and fans really gravitated to that. But at the same time, he didn't have that uh, personality that they can grasp. Because uh, if I may, you, you uh, came from the world of amateur wrestling where you didn't right. have to show personality. You just had to be right. good. You yeah. know, at which you were, you were one of the best ever. But mm -hmm. at the same time, when you, in the world of pro wrestling, you have to have a personality as well that people can gravitate to. Maybe that's, that was. A uh, you you might be right, Jimmy. I mean, but Taz could kind of promo better than anybody. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I would say his personality was more of a bully than anything else, but I think it worked. I think the problem was, and this is what Vince told me, uh, that Taz, uh, he wanted him to sell like he was underneath, like he was always fighting for, for his life and because he was smaller. But Taz wanted to be a giant in the ring. He wanted to dominate. And the, the Vince was having a problem with uh, translating that to Taz, saying, hey, you got to sell. You, you don't don't <laughs> no-sell. Uh, and that's what Taz was doing. He was no-selling. And Vince was like, no, I want you to sell all the time. I want these guys to beat the crap out of you and you sneak a win, a victory. And that, that's the way I want you to be. But for some reason, Taz didn't want to do that. He wanted to be a dominating wrestler. And uh, I think that's the reason why things uh, kind of fell apart for Taz. Because he should have had an incredible future. I mean, he was a great wrestler. He cut incredible promos. He had a great look. There was nothing uh, wrong with Taz uh, to, to be a top guy. Hey, Kurt, so it was it was really well known that you understood the business at a rapid pace that you really really understood it and gravitated to it and it was just almost natural for you where it's become very difficult for most guys that break into the business especially from the wrestling background that you came from which was shoot fighting um is there anyone that you can name because i can't and i've been thinking about this and i didn't want to ask my guys before the show because i wanted to see if we could all come up with something here but you did so much in your first year. And if you go mm -hmm. back, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, you had gone and won the King of the Ring. And, and and then after that, you made a pursuit for the WWE Championship and did it all in one year. Is there anybody that y'all can think mm -hmm. of that has done what Kurt did? Because I cannot. I don't know. I, you know what? I think Brock came close. Uh, I'm not sure if he won King of the Ring, but he was world champion his four months into the business. Like when he started on TV, beat the rock for the world title. So, um, you know, Brock, Brock was another, you know, a guy that should have dominated because of his look and his size and his power. And, um, you know, I knew that Brock would be hugely successful in the business because of his size and his athleticism. Mm -hmm. The one thing I didn't know if he would have was the, was the chops, you know, the, the promo skills. And that came in time. I mean, Brock started getting better and better. But uh, I would say only Brock that I could think of. Maybe uh, Ronda Rousey, but, you know, she didn't really have to cut that many promos. Um, you know, she picked up uh, uh, in the ring pretty quickly, though. I will tell you that. Did you have yeah. any – did you think you could possibly do that? I mean, was that your goal? Like, you couldn't have possibly set out for one year to have done all the stuff you did. Did you think you could do no, it that quick? No, I didn't. I, I didn't expect that, Brian. I, I honestly didn't. I, I really thought that – you know, when they were going to bring me in, because they didn't really work on my promo skills before I started. Um, I thought I was going to be a guy that uh, wrestled on that weekend show. What was it called? Superstars or whatever? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Show that I, would, uh, 
they would do right before Raw or right before SmackDown. It was like a show on the weekend. I thought I was just going to be on that show, and I, I thought they were going to use utilize me just as an athlete, not for any heavy programs or storylines. And the thing is, uh, the first night I was on TV, it was in my hometown of Pittsburgh. Well, it was my second night. My first night was the Survivor Series when I debuted. And the second night I was on TV, never learned how to cut a promo. Vince McMahon comes to me and says, listen, you're going to cut a promo tonight in front of your home crowd because I want you to turn heel. I said, Vince, there's no way I'm going to be a heel in my home crowd. He, he said, um, yes, you will. If you can promo, you will. And so he starts telling me. And he's talking for five minutes, and I'm not hearing a word he's saying. I'm like, holy shit, he's saying so much stuff, I'm not going to be able to remember it. And uh, he got done, and I said, Vince, I'm sorry, but I didn't hear a word you said. <laughs> so <laughs> he said, I'm going to repeat it one more time. You either do this right, you sink, or you swim. And I said, okay. Tell me. He told me one more time. And I went out there, and I got about 80% of it right. And Vince thought, okay, this kid has potential. And that's when he started uh, putting me in heavy storylines, give me long promos. Um, and uh, I have to thank my memory skills uh, to uh, uh, because of the promos. Uh, I, I, I have a photographic memory. So if I read something on paper two or three times, I can memorize the whole thing in a couple of minutes. And uh, so I, I had that strength behind me. But the problem was I didn't know how to improvise. I had to have everything written out for me. I had to learn how to improvise down the road. And uh, that became a problem for me eventually. But eventually I, I, I fixed that problem too. But when I came into the business, I forgot everything I ever learned in amateur wrestling. Because, uh, you know, when you, go in amateur, when you go into pro wrestling, you have to learn how to sell. You have to learn how to bump. You have to, you have to learn all these traits. And, and you also have to understand that you're going to get thrown around. As an amateur wrestler, I never let anybody take me down or throw me around. So it was hard to turn that instinct off. So, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. One time we were at the Dory Funkin' Dojo camp when I was up there in WWE uh, training. Um, uh, Tank Abbott was there. And he wow. was uh, he would get in the ring and he would go after the guy and try to beat the shit out of him. And Dory Funk's like, no, 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 no. You have to calm down. You have to tie up. You have to, you, you have to go slow. You have to chain wrestle. And the guy's like, I just want to knock him out. And they were, and, and that's how I was thinking before I came to WWE. So I decided to forget everything I ever learned and learn from, right from the beginning of what rest, pro wrestling is all about. And that's about bumping, selling, telling a story, learning psychology. And then eventually I put my offensive moves into it later on. So I, 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 I stayed on the defense the whole time so guys could beat me up, bump me, throw me around. Because I wasn't used to that. So I had to get used to that. When I did that, the light bulb went off in my head. Mm -hmm. Really, really quickly here, uh, you, you mentioned having to kind of adjust your, your mindset coming from the world yeah. of amateur wrestling to pro wrestling. Did somebody, was there somebody that, you, that took you under their wing and, uh, when you f came up and said, hey, you know, uh, kind of watch your matches, kind of help you out, kind of gave you advice and stuff like that, other than Vince McMahon, because Vince obviously... You know, you know, it was very hands-on. Uh, uh, two guys that helped me dramatically uh, never ended up in the WWE, which is, which is ridiculous. They both deserve to. One was Sean Evans. He was in WCW for a little while. He's from Pittsburgh. He helped. He trained with me in Pittsburgh when I would be here in town training. And the other one, Steve Bradley. He was from uh, Northeast uh, United States up in near Boston, 
in Connecticut. Um, Steve was uh, under contract with WWE, but they kept him in OVW and never had him leave, uh, come up to the WWE. And eventually they put him down in uh, Puerto Rico for a while and forgot about him. This kid was incredible. I mean, this guy had so many wrestling skills and he knew psychology, knew everything. And all I did was I, he would teach me. He was, I believe the WWE actually brought him on uh, because we went down to Memphis to train for six months. Then he lived with me. Steve Bradley lived with me. I honestly believe WWE signed him to a contract to help teach me how to wrestle. I honestly believe that because they never utilized him. And what they got out of him was the best Kurt Angle possible. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah, you, you and, and he passed away a few years ago. It's okay. sad because he should have had an incredible career. The guy was amazing. Hey, Kurt, you brought up Brock having that great first year. He ended up he won the King of the Ring in two thousand two, um, and then that was the time when, if you won the King of the Ring, you went on to face the champion there at SummerSlam, and then he won the title there from from Rock. Right. Uh, Another guy that came to my mind where you guys were talking about that was a guy that has a WrestleMania match this year uh, is John Cena. Yeah. Um, had a really big first year. You played a pivotal role in his early, in his career well, earlier on there. His first year wasn't as big as it should have been. Um, if you remember, he started out as prototype, right? That's yeah. when he had matching, matching uh, ring wear where like uh, the knee pads and the shorts and the boots all were matching colors. Okay, yeah. that 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 uh, gimmick didn't work. Right. So Vince was almost ready to Vince was almost ready to fire him. And listen, the kid has a lot of potential, and nobody knew about his his promo skills yet. But th they were really tentative on whether to keep John or not. But when John started doing the rapper gimmick, he came into his own, and uh, Vince was like, "Holy crap, we got a winner here!" And he was learning every week in the ring. I I actually was stuck with him for about four months. And we would do house shows everywhere. And I was told to help help him uh, nurture him and teach him and get him ready. And uh, so his first year wasn't that great because he started out with another gimmick. But his second year was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Did Did you learn how to rap from him? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to rap. <laughs> hey, Kurt, you, have to admit, you, you have to admit that that was... A, a very funny special moment that you'll always it remember. It, it was. I cherish it, man. You doing the beatbox, me rapping, John Cena in the ring. It was. It was a lot of fun. We had a blast. I did. I, I was. I was honored to do that. It was hey, entertaining. Yes, it was entertaining. Very entertaining. Everybody still to this day thinks it was not really me beatboxing. I'm like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Everybody tells me that kid's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Tad saying, that's that kid from Richmond with the funny tongue, Brian Hebner. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kurt, how many championships you won? Do you have any idea? Uh, I think, uh, including TNA in, in, in Japan. Yeah. I think 13 um, that I can remember. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I, I didn't do too bad. Um, You're slightly you know, off. You're slightly off. <laughs> I, I didn't get the 16 like Cena and Ric Flair, but, you know, well, if I would have stayed in WWE, I probably would have done it. Well, if my show notes are correct, Kurt, you have won 21 total championships, and 13 of those are as world champion. Oh. Did you realize that? No, uh, that's actually uh, pretty incredible. I, I didn't know I won 21 
titles. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that that's including like the European Championship, the Intercontinental Championship, U.S. Championship, yes. probably the hardcore title. I won that once. I won that mm-hmm. for like five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and Brett, Rob Van Dam took it away from me. So, mm-hmm. uh, but you know what? I I will tell you this. Um, I had the most fun in my life. Uh, my first few years in WWE. Um, every week I would go to work. I felt like a little kid in a candy store. I couldn't wait to see what I was going to do next because they always had something amazing in front of me that they wanted me to do. Uh, Brian Gewurz, the writer, was so incredible. Uh, he had great chemistry with me. He also had great chemistry with The Rock, Chris Jericho, Edge and Christian. Uh, this guy was phenomenal. He was a genius, and he was able to um, – uh, tap into my potential and, and really write incredible material for me. A lot of people say, hey, did you write all that stuff yourself? I'm like, no. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I, I just performed it. Uh, the writer, Brian Gewartz, wrote it for me. So I, I owe him a lot of credit to my career. I'm not going to say I didn't back it up and perform uh, to the highest ability. I did, but I didn't make that stuff up. He did. That's that's awesome. And and not to get, get away from WWE, but eventually you transitioned over to TNA wrestling. What was that transition like going from the world of WWE, which is so structured? Like, I, I can't speak for TNA because I was never there. Maybe Brian could better than I could. But what was that transition from WWE television to TNA television like? Well, you know what? You, you had a lot more freedom. Um, you know, TNA allowed you to do more things that you wanted to do. Uh, WWE, it's pretty strict. They tell you what to do and you do it. Uh, but the, the difference also is the crowd difference. I mean, you know, you know, WWE, you're going to have 15,000 fans in the arena. TNA, you know, you're lucky if you get 3,000 fans. Um, but, but I really enjoy TNA. I loved working there. I actually enjoyed working there more than WWE. And that's why I stayed there longer than I did in WWE. Um, Dixie Carter treated me incredibly well. She gave me a seven-figure contract, limited dates. I didn't have to work nearly as much as I did in WWE. Um, you know, they they just treated me really good, and I love the structure. Like, you know, I I you know I was married and had kids, and every two weeks we'd go down to Universal Studios to do our tapings, and I bring the kids and they go on all the rides. Like, it was an incredible <laughs> lifestyle. When I went to work, I got to play at work. It was it was so much fun. And Brian will will admit this too. Uh, you know, it was an easy job. It really was. You know, we did house shows here and there, but but every two weeks we would go down to uh, Universal Studios in Florida and we we'd knock out two two tape shows in two days, and then we'd be done for two weeks. It was just amazing. And uh, uh, you know, I didn't ever want to let that go. The reason why I did is the money started to run out. I saw a sign when they let go of Hogan and they let go of Sting and, you know, they let go of uh, other guys, Kevin Nash. And I thought, you know what, uh, my time's going to come here soon because I'm getting paid a lot more than everybody else. And this company's having a, a financial crisis right now. And uh, I don't think they're going to be able to help me out. Although that, you know, when I decided to leave TNA, they did offer me another contract and it was a pretty good money deal. It wasn't a million, it was seven fifty, but you know, I was surprised they actually offered me that. And I, you know, I told Dixie Carter, thank you, treated me well. Uh, you know, but nobody's ever treated me as well as you have. But my goal is to go back to WWE for the WWE universe and retire as a WWE wrestler for the fans. 
You know what's funny and interesting about that, Kurt? And you're right. It is the funnest place I've ever worked. But I, <laughs> it really is. Um, but I'll also say this. When I first got into WWE, it was just like what you said. It was like a kid in a candy shop for a long time, for many, many years. Yeah. But then yeah. it became very different. It became more of a grind, and it became more of a, a, a not the camaraderie that it used to be. It wasn't fun anymore. It was work. Yeah. 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 So when I went when I went into TNA, it was just like the WWE used to be in the locker yeah. room and stuff. The Wild West, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was like being a kid again, once again. And it was, you know, and they took care of me just like they did for you. I know that people bitch and moan about that they say they didn't get paid. I, I never not got paid. I never not got my money. I didn't either. I never not got paid. I always got paid. Yeah. But I can yeah. tell you right now, that was that place is what helped rejuvenate my life because I really bad things once I lost my job at WWE. And I can only thank Dixie Carter and Hulk Hogan for bringing me in. And Jeff Jarrett, uh, th those those folks all took care of me. And I just, like you said, Jeff, I mean, um, Kurt, I'm sorry. Kind of lost it, bro. <laughs> no, I, I wanted to talk in, in that meantime, uh, talk about your debut there, Kurt, in 06 there, October, when you uh, confronted Samoa Joe there in the ring. Just an iconic moment that will live in TNA history. Um, was Samoa Joe your best rivalry, do you think, there in TNA? You know what? That's tough. It's it's a it's a it's a toss up, and I don't want to disrespect Jeff Jarrett or Sting because they were great too. I loved working with them, but it's a tie between Samoa Joe and AJ Styles, um, two di very different wrestlers. One's a, a you know ground and pounder, and the other one's a high flyer. But the, they were both effective in their own ways, and they both were the best in their own ways. And Samoa Joe coming in. To TNA, he was undefeated. I think he had like 170 straight wins. And, uh, you know, I, I just felt it was a little early to uh, end his undefeated streak. I thought we should have a nice long program. Him beat me. I beat him. Then we have, a you know, a, a, a rubber match. And I could have went over then. But um, I just felt that Samoa Joe, the program with him, could have been so much better if we would have elongated it and made it longer. But I loved the first night when we went face to face. Uh, you know, it made your, it gave you chills going up your spine when when you saw Samoa Joe and I standing in that ring, and then you know exploded when I headbutted him and I I actually uh, I I cut him I got him the hard way. He was bleeding pretty <laughs> bad. Uh, but you know what Samoa Joe told me? He said, "Headbutt me for real. I'm Samoan." <laughs> so I said, "All right, I'll headbutt you for real, Joe." You know what? I almost knocked myself out. <laughs> hey, hey, Kurt. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? Yeah. And, I, and this is this is a shoot. I'm not lying. When you made your debut with TNA, um, I was really still close with Chimmel, talking to him. And uh, for those of y'all who don't know, uh, I don't know how you don't watch an our show, uh, listen to our show. Totally <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, I called him immediately, and and this was a joke, but it was kind of serious. And I said, "Hey, Chimmel, did you see who just showed up on our show?" And he says, "No, Hebner. Who? Who in the who this time?" And I said, Kurt Angle, we're coming to get you, Chubbs. <laughs> and he died laughing. He said, no way. I said, yes, sir. So that was still a friend rivalry. You know what I mean? It was really, really right, cool. Right, right. Yeah, you're still buddies with them. You were rivaling <laughs> with them. Yeah, TNA versus WWE. <laughs> it became something more, though, when you came, man. It became something more. Well, I hope so. I, I wanted to make a big difference. And, uh, you know, Dixie uh, gave me the platform. 
to give everything I had and go out there and perform for the fans. Uh, she did make me the name and face of the company, which I thought was really cool. Um, but, you know, it, with that, it came a lot of responsibility. And I'm not going to lie to you. I messed up a lot in my life, you know, especially when I was in TNA. I had some DUIs and stuff like that. Um, you know, just there were things that happened that I, I was really um, disappointed in myself. And you know what? Dixie Carter never shied away from me. She uh, she always was there no matter what. She was there to pick me up and she was always there to root me on. She was my best cheerleader. And uh, she never criticized me for anything I did. I did a lot of bad stuff that uh, I wish I wouldn't have done. But, you know, Dixie Carter. Part of was a was a was a, a blessing to me. Nice, very nice. Uh, and uh, you mentioned Dixie Carter being a blessing. How 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 was the difference between her and uh, Vince? Vince McMahon was more of a boss than anything, right? And did did you have a similar kind of relationship with him? I don't want to say similar as in. Vince was uh, a caring guy too. He just hit it really well. Like, you know, whenever uh, my contract would come up, you know, uh, Jim Ross or Johnny Laurinaitis would say, hey, this is what we're going to offer you. And I say, no, no, I, I want more than that. And they said, well, we, we can't offer you any more. I said, no, I'll go talk to Vince. And I went and talked to Vince and Vince gave me. Okay, Vince always had a heart of gold. Uh, the guy would, would hide it pretty well. He, want, he wanted to put up that tough guy persona, which he was a tough guy, but he, he also had a soft heart. But he wasn't Dixie Carter. Dixie Carter was like a mother figure to me. And not that she was that much older than me, because she's not. She's only a year or two older than I am. Uh, or she might even be the same age as me. But she she nurtured me and she took care of me. And, um, you know, she she always uh, uh, gave me the best of the best. I mean, when I, when I had those DUIs, I couldn't drive anymore. She, she had car services come and get me from my house to the airport. And then the car service would pick me up in the town I was in and take me to the arena. And the car service would take me back to the hotel. And the next morning, the car service would be there and we'd go to the next town. Like, And she never charged me for it. I mean, this woman did so much for me. And I, I just couldn't believe how gracious she, she was. Well, they also hired someone to drive you around, too. That's this guy over here. Yeah, yeah. But eventually, they they didn't want to do the car services anymore. So Brian Hebner was the one driving me around. No, no, no. <laughs> which never... wasn't a good idea because Brian drank a lot of alcohol too. Oh my goodness! No, I, someone hit, I, hit started... alcohol. I put my alcohol in the trunk until I dropped you off. <laughs> Is that not why that... I never saw it? Yeah, not, not not to jump in here, but uh, I would have rather had that gig than the one I was uh, saddled with. Uh, after a while, I got saddled with the, the great Kali. So trust oh, me, I would, have, I would have preferred the <laughs> hey, Olympic gold. You know, hey. every 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 trip, Jimmy, we stop at Denny's. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure you guys had a lot of conversations. Oh my goodness, yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I'd imagine, I'd imagine the car was pretty quiet the whole time. Well, you know, we had, uh, oh my goodness, right, uh, his uh, Rajan Singh? Rajan Singh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he rode with us too. He was kind of like the interpreter. So oh, okay. So you had somebody <laughs> that was interpreting. Yes. I figured you were alone with him, so there was no, no, uh, not, not, no uh, talking going on. No, the only advantage there was the the car and the hotel were covered because I was. Eh, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's a good deal. I think that's worth it, Jimmy. Yeah. 
Um, well, Kirby, well, at times it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kurt, I'll say this. You were a lot better than when they saddled me up with Flair. Uh, he, he was at my oh, door. God. That had to be a disaster. Oh, my God. He was at my door at 1030 in the morning knocking on it, telling me to meet me down at the bar. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> he drank every day, all day long, didn't he? Oh, and with oh. you, my biggest thing with you is this. I've never had so much Subway in my life. <laughs> that was my favorite place. <laughs> nice. Well, if I may uh, just go back a little bit, because you mentioned how much fun, Kurt, it was being in the ring with guys like AJ Styles and Samoa Joe and stuff like that. Now, doing the uh, uh, sports entertainment aspect, you and Steve Austin did some memorable things. Was that some of the most fun you had not being in the ring and doing some of the entertainment stuff because one of the ones that come to my mind is that backstage segment where you had the little ukulele doing the Jimmy crack corn one <laughs> Olympic yeah, gold. We had a lot of fun. This was back when I was talking about at the beginning of my career when every week I'd go to work and they had something really cool going on for me. Uh, you know, the thing with Steve, uh, this is when I had to learn how to improvise because Steve doesn't memorize. He improvises everything. And uh, we had these pre-tapes and Vince would be in it with Deborah and Steve and me. And uh, Vince would say, hey, this is what we want to have happen today. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about this. Steve, you started. I'll come second. Kurt, you go third. And I'd be like, wait a minute. Uh, you guys didn't give me the verbiage. He said, you have to think about it yourself. What? I was like, holy shit, I've never done this before. So the, he would talk about a topic. Like we would talk about uh, the cowboy hats. And uh, that would be the, the segment. That would be the pre-tape. We'd talk about the cowboy hats. Steve would start, then Vince would add, come in, and then I'd come in. And then, uh, so they were, they weren't planned out. They were mo mostly improvised. And uh, uh, that's when I learned how to improvise. And, and uh, you know, uh, I was r really gracious that uh, Vince gave me that opportunity because uh, at that point in time, the only thing I could do is memorize and, and talk by memorization. And uh, there, that help me uh, improvise more. There's a story that I'd like for you to rehash, if you can remember it. Um, it was at a house show, and I remember being backstage, and you were in the ring doing the main event, and I don't remember who it was with. And there was an inopportune uh, run-in. Do you remember this with Steve Austin that you weren't aware of? No, I didn't. Um, was that at a TV or a house show? That was at a house show. <laughs> yeah, I forget what he did. Uh, he ran yeah. in the ring out of nowhere and stunned you. <laughs> and you well, you know what? Stunned. At least he told me right before he did it. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> he said, take the stunner, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and I took it like a madman. <laughs> hey, That's awesome. I, I did whatever Austin told me to do. He was the guy. He was the man. You know, Steve was the reason why I got into business. I started watching Raw in 1998, and I fell in love with Steve. I, I wanted to be Stone Cold Steve Austin. I literally, when I went down to Memphis to train for WWE, I had the leather vest. I, my, you know, I, I was, I was going to shave my head, and, and the WWE told me not to. Um, so I wanted to be Steve. I mean, I wanted to be that character. Little did I know they, they had other plans for me. I ended up being a fucking goofball, you know, <laughs> milk drinking nerd. You know, so, uh, but it worked. I, I made it work. And, uh, you know, I am actually a kind of a nerd to begin with. But, you know, I wanted to be Stone Cold. He was the one that inspired me to start the business. Nice. What's you know, the, the, the secret? 
Go ahead, RJ. Sorry. You touched briefly. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk, ask you about your uh, time in uh, Japan uh, with New Japan. Um, you, you get over there uh, early 2007. Uh, man, like you mentioned, MSG is just an iconic venue. You're wrestling in the Tokyo Dome facing guys like Shinsuke and AJ and Brock and Japan. How much of that was an impact on your career later on after you left Impact? Um, you know what? I always wanted to wrestle in Japan. Uh, I was always told about the fans, especially if you're wrestling like in New Japan or whatever promotion it is over there. The fans are incredible, and they are. They're not as rowdy as the fans in the United States. They're more well-contained, but they uh, they applaud quite a bit. Uh, they don't scream their lungs out, but they, they watch and study the match. They enjoy watching wrestling, and uh, they're very passionate. And going over there and being able to perform in front of them was a huge honor. Uh, the first time I did, it was against Brock Lesnar. And the reason why I went over there is because Brock wouldn't do a job for anybody in Japan. He was like, <laughs> I'm not doing a job for any of these losers. And uh, so, so Brock, Brock had the promoter call me to, to have me beat Brock over in Japan. So the promoter called Dixie Carter at TNA, and TNA worked out a deal with them. And by the way, every time I went over to Japan, I never got paid. TNA got the money. <laughs> so, oh. so that's when I stopped going. I After about a year or so, I stopped going to Japan because I wasn't getting paid for it, and I was beating the shit out of my body. So and doing all that traveling back and forth, uh, you know, for the whole year and a half back and forth uh, was re really hard. So, you know, Brock and I had an incredible match. And uh, I remember when the match was over, uh, they, they couldn't stand Brock because Brock didn't want to do a job. He held the title up. He didn't want to give it to anybody in Japan. Um, so they wanted me to beat him. And when I beat him, Brock was hugging me in the ring. He said, hey, I want you to ask for a rematch. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm the champion. I don't ask for a rematch. He said, you have to because they won't give me one. But if you ask for it, they might give you one because I want to get another good payday. So <laughs> I, I, was, I, went, I went to the press conference. I said, hey, I would love to wrestle Brock Lesnar again tonight or again in the future. Uh, I don't know why because I already beat him, but I do want to wrestle him in the future again. And uh, the promoter said no. So Brock wanted to get another match in there because I guess they were paying him buco bucks. And uh, I know I wasn't getting paid that. Uh, but, uh, you know, I also went over there and I wrestled uh, uh, Tanahashi, uh, Nakamura. I wrestled AJ. Uh, I wrestled a few other guys, some of their um, older wrestlers. Uh, uh, um, I can't remember their names. Uh, they, they're legends. They're legends. Nagata. Nagata, yeah. Yeah, so there, there are a lot of great ones I wrestled. I went over there quite a bit, so... Did I enjoy it? Yeah. Did I enjoy the travel? No. Yeah, I can imagine the, the travel over there. And, you know, I, I hate to bring it off topic here, but one of the big things back in the day, especially on SmackDown, was trying to get, uh, you know, at the end after a show, Booker would be in the ring and try to get Taker to do a Taker Rooney and stuff like that. Did we? Did you ever get stuck doing a Curter Rooney? Yes, I did. I saw. <laughs> I, I spun for about six inches. And then I started, I started, I put my feet on the floor and ran in a circle to try to make myself do a spinneroonie. It was horrible. That's no, awesome. No, no, now that you said it, I remember it. My goodness. Oh. <laughs>
So, hey, guys, here's what we want to do. I don't want to tie Kurt up forever because I know he's a busy guy. So let's yeah. let's shut the segment down and let's get back to our third count. We'll get some fan questions in and get, and get Kurt out of here. Sounds good. This is your three count. And we're back with our third count. Kurt, we got a couple questions here for you from our loyal listeners. Uh, our first question comes to us from WWE Master 2018. He wants to know, are there any memories of uh, you and JBL in the ring when the big show came out to the Shrek's, Shrek's theme music? Uh, I believe he said it was in a house show uh, in about 04, 05. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, big show had a great personality. So did JBL. But JBL was a little bit of a bully. I'm not going to lie to you. He was a prankster. <laughs> he read no, the boys quite a bit. Oh, he was a bully. He would, <laughs> hey, some of the new guys he picked on pretty badly. But, you know, that's part of the business. But Big Show came out, and uh, they played the Shrek <laughs> I guess JBL did that, right? I think JBL is the one that had that music played. That was so funny. I have, I have a Big Show come out as Shrek. I mean, Show was best, man. <laughs> that was horrible. I felt badly for Big Show, and I never feel badly for him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's kind of like us with Chimel. We, we, we every once in a while you feel bad for him and you never do. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So go ahead, RJ, with a couple more. All right. So we got our second one comes from Sarah Walker. She wants to know who do you want to face from the past if you were ever in that era? Oh, without a doubt, era. Bret, Bret Hart. Bret Hart. Uh, hands oh, wow. down. That's that's the first one I would pick. I would actually pick him over, and and these guys are are guys I also wanted to wrestle. Uh, Daniel Bryan, um, you know Roman Reigns, I would have loved to wrestle, uh, but but I'm I'm gonna say Bret Hart is my number one, and I know I'm his number one. He's told me many times, and I think that match would have been a a five star match. It could have been a classic. I wouldn't say you know you can never name the greatest wrestle match of all time because there's so many great ones, but it would have been up there. I can only... Who's a better wrestler, Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels? Oh, you know what? They're so different. Bret's a better technician. Shawn's a better athlete. Uh, but but they both are effective. Uh, I will tell you this. Shawn is the best wrestler I ever faced in my life, in my whole career. In-ring skills, not, not the best. I'd say Chris Benoit. But Shawn Michaels, overall entertainer, look, chops, uh, wrestling ability, athleticism, he was the greatest I ever wrestled, but I, you know, I, you know, Bret Hart was a better technician. Yeah, really quickly too. There are two 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 gentlemen that I had the pleasure of refereeing with you, uh, Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. How would you rank them as well? Yeah, I mean, like oh, it's God, hard to, that, you know, you know what, Eddie, Eddie for his size. Okay, uh, you have to remember, Eddie was five foot nine, mm -hmm. and here he is. He he wins the WWE Championship. Uh, that's literally unheard of. And same with Ray. But Ray was special. Ray was a guy. He's the best lucha wrestler I've ever wrestled in my life. He was special. He was 145 pounds, a uh, real little guy. You know, you would think he would never had a chance, but the fans believed in him. Uh, th this is what changed Vince's mind, Vince McMahon's mind of making him champion, because the fans loved him so much. They believed that he could win a world championship. And the fans made Vince McMahon believe that. And eventually, Ray won the world title. But Eddie, Eddie Guerrero, I would put him up there in the top three of best of all time. 
Uh, Eddie had everything. He had a great look. His wrestling was off the charts. He could do lucha. He could do heavyweight wrestling. Uh, his his uh, promo skills were incredible. He had a great look. His personality, unbelievable. The charisma that came out of him, nobody, everybody was second to Eddie. Uh, so I would say Eddie would be number two behind Sean. Wow. Ray Mysterio, top five, definitely. In my book, top five, yeah. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So, Kurt, what do you think made me and your chemistry so well? What do you think made me and you just click so well? What do you think happened? Because I, I, I don't know how to Brian, answer that. Brian, Brian, what are you talking about? We didn't have chemistry. listen listen i'm gonna say this okay and this is the last time i'm gonna say it because brian i've put you over way too many times all right (laughs) i i have never seen an official a referee that would come into the ring and watch every single move that we would do in our match and study it and memorize it i mean you most referees come to us and say, what's the finish? Oh, this is the finish. Okay, great. I'll count the three on that finish. And then they walk away. You, Brian, you would you would study the whole match. You would learn the whole match. You would know what the psychology was. You would know what body park we were working. Because if we forgot in the ring, I went to you some, plenty of times and said, Brian, what's the next spot? And you told me. I mean, no other ref has done that for me. Uh, I will, Jimmy, no disrespect to you, but I work with Brian so many times. Mm-hmm. Brian Hebner is the best referee in the history of the business. And, and, wow. and, and I'm, I'm wow. putting him over above his father, who, who obviously is a legend in the business. But Brian, you, you were a guy that, that dove into it fully and you put everything into the business and every match that you refereed was incredible and any match you referee for me was incredible and we had such great chemistry because we understood each other and we both knew what was going on in the match and and you were my third voice you were the one in the ring besides my opponent you were the third voice in that match and you always called the match whenever we forget and and i was so grateful for that i want to say one more thing and first of all thank you so much kurt i really that you have no idea what that means to me um, but I also want to say this, and I, I'm sure you remember this because I remember this one moment, and then it just continued from there on. But we were doing a match on a house show, and there was something which was you and Brock, and you got mad, and you were like, "Fuck, take a ref bump," and we never called one. And I'm like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> well, you had him in the ankle lock, and I said, "Where am I supposed to be, Brock?" And you said, "And you were just so frustrated." You said, "Just stay fucking right there," and he did the roll through, and he, you came and, and bumped me. Yeah, we just started yeah. doing that all the time. We never even called the damn thing. It was- <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's because Brock would always add extra shit in our house show matches. And we were trying to make the matches longer. So we'd end up doing that spot to have a ref bump. And, uh, you know, Brock, for some reason, Brock loved ref bumps. I have no idea why. Oh, uh, I know but, why. But, uh, why? <laughs> Tell me why. Please, I'm out. curious. <laughs> But He's yeah, you know, you know what, Brock, um, Brock and I, we did a lot of improvisation in our matches, especially at the house shows. We like to call it in the ring. I wouldn't say we were lazy. We just uh, wanted to try new things. And, uh, you know, Brock was always game for that. And so was I. And I always wanted to broaden my skills. So we would always improvise during the house shows to make us make us better improv- improvisers uh, for wrestling. Awesome. Nice. 
right, we got one last question we have time for. Uh, it comes from George from Hot Springs, Arkansas. Yes. After your numerous neck surgeries and knee replacements, looking back, what, if anything, would you change from your career? <laughs> um, you know what? I, I, I was very injury prone. Um, I wish I would have went back, uh, taken better care of my body because I abused the shit out of it. Um, I didn't take care of my body. I, I, I didn't warm up and stretch before the matches. I didn't stretch afterward. I didn't do any yoga, anything like that. I literally would do this and go out and wrestle. Mm. I, I would shake my head and go out and wrestle, and that's it. And I abused my body. I mean, I put it through the ringer. My, I have knee replacements. I just had back surgery three days ago. I have another neck surgery coming up later on this year. My body is falling apart, and it's because I never took care of it. You look at guys like Chris Jericho and Rey Mysterio. They're still going. You know why? Because they took care of their bodies. That's why they're they're on top of their game and they're almost in their 50s. They might even be in their 50s and they're still on top of their game because they do yoga and they stretch and they take care of their bodies and they do the things that they have to to make sure their body stays younger. I didn't do that and I wish I did. That's some great advice for some young talent who might be listening right now. Take care of your bodies. Coming from one of the greatest ever, Kurt, uh, I can't, I can't appreciate tell you how much we appreciate having you on today. It's, Thank it's you, just, Jimmy. It, it, and it's great to see you again. And so, you know, yeah, you too. <laughs> because, you know, like, like I've said, uh, I've, I've been blessed to be part of this industry and work with some amazing people. And you are definitely high up on that list of amazing people that I got to work with. And thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, Jimmy. That means a lot to me, man. But yeah, Kurt, thank you so much for being on the show today. Lastly, just plug any, everything that you got going on, appearances and shows and what have you. Oh, you know what? I just want to plug one thing. My my supplement company, Physically Fit Nutrition, we have a product called Chicken Snacks. Uh, they're incredible. Uh, 11 different flavors. Uh, you order them at physicallyfit.com. Uh, they're, they're amazing. You're going to love them. They're high protein, low carbohydrate. I got into the supplement industry because I'm trying to take care of my body. And I, I use these supplements every day. Uh, they, they're, they're incredible. They're, they're great snacks and they're, they're healthy. And it's, it's, you know, today people need to be more healthy, healthier than they are. Uh, and uh, this is a, a good step forward for them. Go to physicallyfit.com. There's chicken snacks and there's snack smart crispy protein bites. One's chicken protein, one's organic plant protein. Kurt, yeah. thank you so much. We appreciate <laughs> your uh, your time today. All right, Joe Brian, I love him. There you go. Thank, thank you, Kurt. Thanks, right, Kurt. Bye -bye. It's summer. You know what that means. It's bonfire season. And thanks for our great sponsors today, City Bonfires. They're making your job a heck of a lot easier and everybody around you very, very happy. Head over to citybonfires.com right now and they use the promo code RUFFIN to get 15% off your entire order. These bonfires can be used on camping trips, whether you're in an apartment, whether you're in the country, and you just want to have some peacefulness. City Bonfires helps you out. Their burn time lasts between three to five hours. It's light, reusable, and easy to extinguish. There's no mess, no flying embers, no ashes to clean up, and there's no smoke. So you're not gonna be taking all of that smoke into your home. So head over and check out their great products right now over at citybonfires.com and use the promo code REFIN, that's R-E-F-I-N, to get 15% off your entire order. Thanks to our great friends over at City Bonfires.
He lived up all to that hype, guys. You know, Kurt Angle, legitimately one of, if not the best wrestler of all time. He's he said Sean was, but I'll say Kurt Angle is. Um, obviously that's me as an mm. <laughs> an outside guy that hasn't worked with him like you two guys, but um, absolutely phenomenal. Awesome. Well, we say we're gonna have surprises, or we're gonna have something big next week. When we say it on our show, we mean it. Who yeah. could be bigger than Kurt Angle? Right. Nobody. <laughs> but you know, somebody that uh, is getting pretty close. You know, as our two two members of our team, guys, JD Hoop does our fantastic graphics, and AJ McKay, just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, look forward to uh, putting their stuff out there as much as we can to promote them. Um, but you know, Jimmy, obviously, you, you got called in from the bullpen last night over there. <laughs> like we, I, I talked to you previously uh, for Wrestling Inc. But what are ways other people can uh, get a hold of you? Yeah, like you said, on Wrestling Inc., uh, post-Raw and post-AEW uh, Dynamite, uh, the post-shows with uh, the group there. And uh, last night I got called in for the SmackDown version. And, uh, you know, hey, I'm on call. And you obviously <laughs> can find me here every uh, every Wednesday morning We uh, when it's posted up here for Reffing It Up podcast. And on all my socials, from Monday to Wednesday, my Reffing Rants out there, again, not to tear down, but because I, want, I love this business so much, I just want to see it succeed and be better. And Brian, well said, you, know, you you put out a great, I think you're a fan, both of you are fantastic follows, but Brian more so, you know, you get those, uh, Hey, let's hold the ladder. We saw that last night at the impact <sighs> show with, uh, the, the wee ladder, we should say with bully and uh, Tommy during their busted open match. But, uh, what are ways people can get a hold of you and look at your fantastic comments? Well, you can reach me easily on both of my social platforms, which is Twitter. And uh, Instagram at Baby Hebner. So pretty simple for both of those. And uh, I'll tend to say some things sometimes here and there. Just depends on the mood. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it just kind of just rattle the cage a little bit, right? Uh, That's it. But next week, first and foremost, we want to thank everybody for tuning in this week to this great episode. And obviously thank Kurt Angle for joining us. Everybody can check us out on across social medias at Refin It Up. Head over to castbycom slash reffing it up. All our great platforms are there that you can follow, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family. Subscribe to Reffing It Up with these two great guys. And uh, we'll see you back here next week on Reffing It Up. One, two, three. <laughs>